Please stand with me. The reading of God's word. Acts 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being, like, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his way and say, Send to Joppa and bring to Simon, who is called Peter, He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, When we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Beloved, this is the word of God to us this morning. And he speaks it to us by his spirit out of love for this congregation. You may be seated. I mentioned Simeon Trust Workshop that we'll be hosting next month. A few months ago, I was in Nebraska and I was leading this, one of these workshops. And so I'm in a room, a Texan is in a room filled with Nebraskans. That was an interesting experience. I can say that I felt both embarrassed and empathetic toward the men that I was meeting with. Because when I was there, I learned the motto of Nebraska. You may not have ever heard this. This is astonishing. And if you're from Texas, you will be embarrassed for them and probably feel empathy for them. When you get a state motto, the the people come together, they get in a room and they try to agree on a short statement that is good and it represents them And it shows the world their priorities and that they believe is true. And the state of Nebraska has had several of these mottos 
But their most recent motto, you can see on the billboards on, in the highway, is Nebraska. Honestly, it's not for everyone. The state of Nebraska, the people of Nebraska finally got into a room and said, you know what, can we just be honest this time <laughs> and say, this really isn't for everyone. And then they all agreed, you're right. So I was embarrassed for these brothers, and I also understood. I'd been there for a few hours, and I knew what that motto meant. The city of Geneva had a motto where the people of Geneva got together, and this is what they came up with, post tenebras. Sparrow Lucem. Now, homeschoolers may be understanding that I mispronounced that Latin. Um, I don't know how it's pronounced. You guys can tell me later. Post tenebras sparrow lucem or lucum. And what that means is after darkness, I hope for light. After the darkness of this life. After all the difficulty of living in this world, we hope that there is something. We desperately hope that there is light. People of Geneva expressed in their motto, their, and I think this is true of the whole world, whenever God gives someone a perspective on what they really need, they know they need light out of darkness. They know they need someone to give them what they cannot give for, them, for themselves. They can hope for something that they don't know even is available. Beloved, the entire world is dwelling in darkness and is empty like prisoners in a cell waiting for execution. And there's no hope that they're going to receive anything else. When the world is honest, and when God is gracious to lift their eyes above what the devil has numbed them to, the whole world wants the light of God. Well, that is not Geneva's current motto. That's what Geneva's motto used to be. It's now post-tenebras lux, after darkness light. What changed the people of Geneva from hoping that there might be light to knowing there is light? What changed them was the gospel of John Calvin. When he came to preach in the 16th century, what changed him is the gospel reflected in Romans chapter 5 that says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That the ungodly who have no hope have hope that Christ has come and He's died for those who cannot be with God because they are not like God. They are ungodly. Our passage this morning is like the rest of the Bible. 
but it makes this specific contribution about this message. God grants life and light even to the unholy. Here is all of the passage in a sentence. God grants life even to the unholy. We started to unpack that sentence in the sermon last week. And here I want us to focus on verse 18, which says, when they heard these things, when the circumcision party of the Jews in Jerusalem heard these things that Peter then communicated to them after they criticized him for taking the gospel to the Gentiles, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. That phrase in verse 18 The Gentiles also, you see at the beginning of the the passage as well. Right at the beginning, it says uh, in in verse 1, the Gentiles also. The Jews heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. Then at the end of the passage, it says, then to the, uh, the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance unto life. That the, the beginning and the end, the Gentiles also, this phrase is repeated to tell us this is what this passage really is like. God has done something unexpected. We did not expect for God to give to the Gentiles also the life that we receive. That confusion was reported at the very beginning, which is what we started with last week when they critiqued Peter and said, You went to the uncircumcised and ate with them also. You spoke the saving word to word of God to people who had not yet submitted to circumcision. You even ate with them. You, Peter, have disobeyed God. But then in in verses 5 through 17 is Peter's answer to that critique. So just to remind you of the context before we focus on verse 18. Peter said, I did not disobey God when I took to those who had not yet submitted to circumcision the saving word of God. God is the one who told me to go to them. He convinced me, if you remember from last week, He convinced me, God convinced me by His three-link chain Number one, link number one was in verses 5 through 10, where Peter then explains to the Jews that God was the one who sent Peter a vision for correction to correct the way that he was thinking about unclean animals. But then in verses 11 and 12 came the second link of the chain that changed Peter's mind about what he should do with the gospel. Because there he says, God sent me visitors for clarification. That vision for correction was clarified by visitors. Those three men, the Spirit, whenever those three men from Cornelius came to my door, the Spirit came to me and said, those, those three visions about unclean animals not long being unclean anymore is really about these three men 
who you have treated as unclean and you would be unwilling to go to them until they cleanse themselves of the world with circumcision. And so the Spirit says, you go with them. But then the third link of the chain was in verses 13 through 17, where God sent a verification of conversion. Peter says, once I got to Cornelius' house in verses 13 and 14, Cornelius reveals to me that God intended to save them. That I was sent to bring a message that God promised would actually save them. And in verses 15 through 17, the Spirit actually intervenes and saves them. And proves that. By giving to the Gentiles who have not yet been circumcised, which was the way that previously they had to be brought into the people of God. But before they did that, before they did anything, they just hear this message. And the things that the Jews experience in Acts chapter 2 are the very same things that the Gentiles experience in Acts 11. And it was the sameness of the same message going out, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same Spirit filling the hearers and then causing them to speak in languages they did not know and extolling God. That's the sameness of the experience verified to Peter, God is going to save the Gentiles also and not by first making them Jews. So, Peter is communicating to them and to us that when salvation comes to those who are outside of Israel, this is not God changing His mind. This is not God changing His strategy. Peter communicates... He needs to change our mind. But this is not him changing his mind. This kind of expansion was always his plan. And if we had listened, we would have known. You know, in that first book of the Bible, when God calls out an exclusive people to be his only people, in Genesis 12, he says to Abraham, you will be a blessing so that you bless the world. We just heard from Isaiah 49, one of my favorite sentences in all of the Bible. It is too light a thing that you, who we know to be the Lord Jesus, God says, my son, it would be too small a thing for you to be my Savior And you just bring back the Jews to me. I will make you a light to the nations. That my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Because Jesus is so heavy. Not light. Heavy. A Savior. He is the Savior of the world which means there is no other Savior in the world. The world, if it will be saved, will be saved only by the Lord Jesus. 
From the very beginning, the, 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 the verse or the, the, the passage that, that Mickey referenced to us earlier, Genesis 3. From the very beginning, the only people who would be saved by God were the people who heard God's promise to save through a son. The newness is that only the people of Israel had heard about the son before this moment. There were some exceptions along the way, but only the people of Israel had heard the exclusive promise of the Savior, and therefore only they could be saved. But once Christ does His work and defeats our enemies in the book of Acts, He ascends into heaven, and immediately that exclusive offer from the only Savior is then expanded to the whole world. The good news of Jesus Christ is for a world filled with the ungodly. The Son is the Savior of the whole world in that there is no other Savior in the world and in that He is savoring every people. He's saving every people. He's not going to save every person. But this is not about His, his stinginess. This is about how generous He is. He saves from Every people, Jesus will be the Savior of people from all across the world. And so, verse 18, the church's mind is changed. And and the church realizes that they have the message of salvation and they need to expand their mission. So, this was written last week. The church is the EMS of heaven. The church is the emergency medical services of heaven. And I think this week we understand more clearly what that means. From last week, God is changing the mind of the church to understand in verse 18 that God means to send us out through a world that is in the danger of dying. Like a hospital who sends out EMTs to those who are in danger. You need to understand, church, this is, what, this is the lesson that they came to learn in verse 18. They learned, oh, we're going to the whole world. That's what heaven wants us to do. So let me give you three lessons. Three lessons for the church that that are communicated from this story but are represented in verse 18. Because those who have the message that brings life need to know something about our message. And it's these three things from verse 18. Number one, Everyone must turn if they're going to live. You see that in verse 18? Everyone must repent is another way to put it. Repent means change directions. Everyone must turn if they're going to live. If you're going to be a steward of the message from heaven that brings life out of death, if you're going to be a steward of the message of 
heaven that brings light to those who are dwelling in darkness. This is something you have to get. If you're sharing the gospel and you're not sharing the gospel this way, you're leaving out the gospel. You must turn in order to live. The Bible, we're going to stay in Acts 11, verse 18. Uh, The Bible teaches us that gravity is not ultimately pulling you to the ground. But there, that is a picture of the real gravity that is operating in every soul in all the world that is pulling them lower. On this earth is a gravity that pulls everyone to hell. That's the direction we all are being pulled to. You need to remember that sin, while it is alluring, while it is attractive, is pulling our gaze. You need to remember that its direction is down to the grave. It, every sin, everything that God has forbidden, is pulling us to death. Get that. We have to turn around if we're going to go to life. Otherwise, what we're naturally doing always is going to death. Verse 18 says, do you want to live? If you want to live, you need to kill sin and kill your rebellion against God. You're not listening to God and you need to chase righteousness because that is in the direction of life. Eternal life, which is what they're referring to in verse 18. Then to the Gentiles also God has granted a turn. That leads to life. You aren't going in the direction of life unless you repent. Eternal life is in the opposite direction that your heart and my heart and our flesh is pulling us toward. Let me give you another image. I'm an expert on cars. <sighs> yeah. Uh, but I hear that's when you're driving your car. One reason, Ryan, that your, your car is be- pulling to one side is because you keep running into them curbs and you don't think it's any big deal. It's like our hearts have these curb checks that we're constantly choosing and making light of, where we give ourselves to sin and and, and our hearts start being pulled more toward it, more toward danger, more toward a curse. And verse 18 is teaching us that salvation, life, is not a matter of just God coming alongside us and, 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 and putting His foot on the gas and helping us get there faster. God has not come to us in the gospel and, and open up this HOV lane and, and, and just kind of remove some of the obstacles for the destination we were already heading toward. The church needs to understand that salvation and life, that this message that only we have is about a completely different direction 
for a destination that no one will get to apart from turning. So repentance throughout the Gospel of Acts, not throughout the pulpits of the Bible Belt, but repentance throughout the Gospel of Acts is necessary for salvation. It is a defining characteristic of those who are saved. Let me clarify. It means turning away from one direction and way of life to go in a completely direct, different direction. I've given this illustration before. It's not original to me. I find it helpful to see that God is painting the world as heading in one direction, which is hell. And so all the world is following the course of this world. This is the course of this world. We're following Satan. He's leading us to hell. And when the gospel comes in Acts chapter 11, and when the gospel comes in our life, God turns us around and is leading us to life with Him in heaven. So that Jesus is the one who's now leading us. And, and so a Christian is someone who's been turned around and headed in a direction that we, 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 would, we were not headed to, toward. But what, you, you just are a Christian for a few seconds and you realize, my, I still have this inclination to sin. I still find it appealing to follow Satan. And to not believe God. And to think that that's the way to life. There's this deception. And so a Christian is often turning around. But listen. Repentance is a defining characteristic of a Christian. Which means that what characterizes a Christian is that we spin. A Christian is not sinless. But... Well, a Christian's not spinless either. If someone calls himself a Christian and they're just headed in this direction and they hear warnings and they won't spin, that's not a Christian. We turn around and God gives us grace to go in the other direction. And church, that lesson is taught to the church in Jerusalem, through the example of Cornelius, a God-fearing man, devout and generous in giving alms and ceaseless in prayer, which means good men need to repent or else they're going to hell. Good people need to change in order to live with God. If you don't have repentance, you don't have salvation. And until He's your Lord, He is not your Savior. We're turned. And repentance is granted so that we are led to life. Christ is a Savior from sin. This was the, the, the proof to Paul that the church in, the, in Thessalonica was saved. I know, beloved. I know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you because when you heard my gospel... You didn't just hear it in word, you also heard it in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And you turn from idols to serve the living God. You turn. It is the sign of salvation, church. We 
The EMS of heaven need to know what it is that that person needs in order to to know that they're out of danger and it is to turn. The second lesson we read, we learn from verse 18. The The EMS from heaven dispatched to a dark world. Offering life. You have to understand. That that turn. Is granted. God. Has granted. Repentance. When I was getting. Close to the age of 16. Like like most 16 year olds. I was thinking about. Will I, will I have a car? And the joke around my house was, um, yeah, you've got one out in the driveway. Which was this decades-old boat of a car, three tons of American steel that had been dead for ten years. It was real funny. And when I turned 16, my brother and I go out there and, and uh, we just said, we don't have anything else. Let's just try it. And we tried to turn this thing over. It doesn't turn over. Uh, we even just tried to move it out of our driveway so that we could maybe take it somewhere or it could be towed somewhere or whatever. And we couldn't even turn the thing. Uh, there, there was, again, it was three tons. I don't know how, I don't know how heavy it was. It was heavy. And uh, there was no power steering fluid anymore. You could not turn. And the church needs to understand if we're going to steer people to life, that the people we are calling to life have no power steering. Their souls were born with no power steering. What I mean is, you can call them to turn that this is the way to life, not that way, and they cannot do it. They, we, would never do it. We would never relinquish the controls of our life to follow a God. So the church learns in verse 18 that repentance is a gift that only God can give. Now, that, let me rephrase that. The church of Israel the church in Israel did not learn that. They had always known that. We need to learn that. Church, repentance is a gift that only God can grant. He has to give it. I want you to see this. A couple things. Number one, why when God sent an angel to Cornelius, why didn't God just say, believe in Jesus? Repent of sins. Isn't that strange? I mean, you've already shown up. Why? Does that seem inefficient to then say, you need to send for Peter? And then Peter's going to come and he's going to say something. God had already sent a messenger. But here's the thing. It's not angels who are used by God to grant this gift of repentance. His messengers are human. Verse 14, I mean, they are, 
They are gathered there in Cornelius' house, but just being there won't get them saved. They have to hear a message from Peter and then believe it. So, church, repentance is a gift that only God can give and He never gives it uh, through silent churches. He always is using churches who are not silent. Because He's not giving it any other way. His saved people are the ones God uses to grant this gift. This is what one man said that we see throughout the gospel or the the book of Acts. The gospel spread most of all by the enthusiastic witness of the nameless people who loved Jesus and who could not, therefore, keep quiet about Him. It was a people movement, this early Christianity. That is why it succeeded. It did not depend on big names, but on little people who had a big God and were not afraid to put Him to the test as they went out in His name. And if that is not a challenge and a rebuke to the modern church, I do not know what what is. Nameless people who believe in Jesus and who will therefore not be silent. Max Stiles encourages us to take more risks. If you're going to be a better evangelist, take more risks. That's the one commitment maybe you can make to become a better evangelist this year is to take more risks of your reputation. Take more risks of your relationships and share the gospel. Peter's reputation, his relationships were at stake. And Max Stiles also encourages us to pray Daily, Lord, involve me, me directly in at least one person's salvation this year. Will you pray that? Will you pray that? Lord, involve me. Put God, it says, to the test. In the sense of, you, you save through your word, use me for the salvation of at least one person this year. The second thing I want you to see from this lesson that repentance is a gift only God can give is not only does God just not give that through angels. He doesn't just save people without the church going out and speaking. But also, Peter was convinced. And verse 18, the church is convinced of something they had heard before, which is salvation belongs to the Lord. It does not belong to people. You do not save anyone. Your presentation doesn't save anyone. Salvation belongs to, is owned by the Lord. So let me encourage you to go to the store of salvation. Go to the store of salvation. Go to the one who owns it and who can grant it. And what you need to be going and doing is asking God for repentance. God, you have to grant it. I I can tell them they must repent and I can be doing better than so many. They must turn in order to live, but even me telling them to live, they can't do it. They won't turn and I can't persuade them to do it. You've got to give them repentance. Turn them. God, grant repentance to this person. Will you pray every day for particular people, that the Lord would use you in saving at least 
in the, in the salvation of at least one sinner in 2020? And will you pray for particular people and ask God to grant that person daily repentance? And let me encourage you to make that person a Gentile. I'm obviously using that more broadly. I don't know how many Jews are in Graham, so let me be clear. Use it. Pray that for a Gentile. Not just your child. Do it for your child. But start praying for more than just your children or your parents or your spouse or whatever. Do it for someone like Cornelius, who when Peter said, go where? Do what? Do it for that kind of person in your life who is very far from God, who seems hopeless. And that leads to number three, the third lesson that the church has learned through this story in Acts 10 and 11. That's clear in verse 18. And that needs to be clear to us as a church if we are going to faithfully be the EMS of heaven on earth. We need to know that generosity in granting repentance brings glory to God. When he's generous in granting that repentance, that brings him glory. When he's generous, when he's going to people that surprise us. Verse 18, they fall silent. What do, they, what do you mean they fell silent? They stopped criticizing generous evangelism. They stopped criticizing the preaching and sharing of the gospel with hopeless people. They fell silent. They stopped objecting to that. Church, generosity in the gospel brings glory, it says in verse 18. Brings glory to God, which means our marching orders are to go to the needy. You can't get more needy than dead. And God says, everyone you know who is not following Jesus is dead in sin. I want you to imagine learning a spell. Imagine it just for a second. Just bear with me for a moment. Learning a spell. If there was a spell out there that raised dead loved ones. I want you to think about particular dead loved ones who you would give anything to get back. And you heard there was a spell. Now forget the magic thing, but I just want you to imagine, what if your beloved could come back and not just come back, but never leave again? And not just come back and live in misery, but to live abundantly to know joy in Christ. There is a message that does that. And Christ is too good a Savior for us to be stingy with the news about Him. I want to encourage you to pray every day for the deadest person you know. The person you know who has listened to the most lies. The person who you know who is the most obviously ignorant. And they may be professing to be a Christian. 
The person you know who is the most wicked. The person you know who is betraying God the most. And you pray for them because the, Gen- the, the, the Jews said to the Gentiles also, to people like that also, God is granting life. All those things don't disqualify those people. Pray daily then that the Lord might soften this person's heart to receive the gospel, that the Lord might give you boldness to give them the gospel, and that God would actually grant them repentance unto life. And that message is available to you right now. If you have been living in darkness and would hope for light, but barely dare for it. If you know you are so guilty and unworthy of this kind of God, the good news is the gospel is for you. Christ's blood forgives the ungodly. And if you will turn from living for yourself and any other God and follow Christ, He will save you. God glorifies Himself in granting life to more people than His people expected. I want to close with two words that I will then add words to. I want to close with two words. Assumption and unity. Assumption and unity. Here's the danger. Is that we would start assuming that we have the favor of God. And all the danger that comes to those who assume. Because to the Gentiles also, at this moment in the book of Acts, becomes to the Gentiles mainly. God mainly takes the gospel from this point on to Gentiles and not to the Jews. And that is a word of warning to those who are proud and who are religious. God goes to the humble. He goes to this man who hears from God If you will send for Peter, I will send you a message of salvation. And when you hear it, you will be saved, you and all your household. And then when Peter shows up, he's filled the household. He so desperately wants, not only he wants wants to be saved, so he, he sends a soldier to go get Peter. He wants to be saved and he fills the house with other people who cannot be saved. And the needy hear and they listen and they believe. There's a difference between assurance of salvation and assumption in salvation. And it's possible for us who know the gospel to just start assuming I'm good and this pride to be there, that it's only needed for others. No, you need it. And if you do not pay much closer attention to what you have heard, you will drift away from it. Don't assume because God goes to the needy, not to the proud. But the second thing I want you to hear, the word is unity. Unity. And we need to hear about unity because when Peter proved to them in verse 18, silenced them. No, they don't have to become Jews to become Christians. They're not 
different from us. God has made them us. He's given to them the same thing He gave to us. We, we are one. Two pages later, Acts 15. This group revisits their objection. Galatians chapter 2, this preacher. When the circumcision party came and he was eating with Gentiles, he forgot this message. And Paul had to say, you don't have to become a Jew to be saved. To Peter. In other words, what is famously said about another reformer when a church member came up to Martin Luther and said, why is it that you preach the gospel to us week after week? Luther said, because week after week you forget it. Beloved, they forgot it. And you will forget it. And I will forget it. We will forget that Christ's blood is powerful to unite. And it means to unite. And to not have divisions. And the Spirit is working and is determined to unite the church. We can hear from this lesson that God is saying, I don't want Jew and Gentile. I don't want a Chinese church and a Malaysian church, Adam and Andy, when you get there. I don't want a Republican church. I don't want a white church. I don't want a traditional old folks church. I don't want a Contemporary young church, old folks aren't welcome here, church. I don't want a homeschool church. Now, no one calls themselves that. No one says we're the, well, except for the cowboy church. But, but do you gravitate toward your kind of people in the church? I understand what the world is saying. I found my tribe. Beloved, don't find your church with, or your tribe within the church and leave out some in the church. Cliques have no place in the church. A posture of conflict of us versus them has no place in the church. So every time you are falling back into this habit that we all have, that in order to be accepted by me, you have to become like me. You remember how the church was convinced that wherever the Lord is standing will dictate our steps. And the Lord has persuaded us that He's going to the Gentiles, so I'm going to go to the Gentiles who I have nothing in common with. And He is glorified. By no longer making these distinctions, and therefore he is glorified by Christians who do not divide within the church. So, very practically, who do you eat with? Peter, when he saw the circumcision party, said, I'm not going to eat with them anymore. Who do you eat with? You think about it. Who do you have in your home? Who do you talk to after the service? Who do you pray for? And let the wonder of the gospel and the fullness of the reality that God grants life even to the ungodly have its effect on what you do.
God, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit. And you would cause this word to bear fruit in our hearts. Grow us, we pray, in the gospel. And we ask this to the glory of your name. Amen.